KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. The public health order that virtually shut down asylum is halted by a federal judge. Cartels are literally waiting on the other side of the bridge to pick off these families when the Biden administration sends them back across the bridge. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. We'll examine why critical race theory is controversial and widely misunderstood. No kindergartner uh, that I know is, is, is familiar with the Constitution. In fact, no 12th grader that I know um, has a baseline level of knowledge in order to engage with critical race theory. So critical race theory is not being taught in K-12 schools. And our weekend preview features outings at the theater, the museum, and the library. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. A federal judge has ruled the government must stop using a public health order to refuse entry to immigrant families at the border. Title 42 allows customs officials to ban asylum seekers from U.S. detention facilities to stop the spread of COVID-19. Critics claim the Trump-era policy virtually shut down the nation's asylum system. The injunction ruling by the judge gives the government 14 days to stop the policy. Meanwhile, an ACLU lawsuit is still underway in an effort to find Title 42 used in this way as unlawful. Joining me is Lee Gallant. He is Deputy Director of ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project, and Lee, welcome. Thanks for having me. Why is this Trump-era policy still in effect anyway, eight months into the Biden administration? Well, that's exactly the right question. You know, we expected the Biden administration to get rid of it. It is the most extreme asylum policy enacted by the Trump administration. The Biden administration came to us in the beginning and said, well, look, the system is in shambles after the Trump administration. Just give us some time to get it back up and running. We said, okay, we'll put our lawsuit on hold. We gave them more than six months. They still didn't end the policy. They still didn't enact the measures that we were hoping for. And so finally we had to go back to court. And fortunately a court has now ruled that the policy is unlawful. We didn't think it was justified as a public health measure when the Trump administration did it. And it's certainly not at this point, uh, warranted as a public health measure. The, the statute doesn't give the authority to the executive branch to do this. In any event, this, they have plenty of steps to take to safely process families. Instead, the Biden administration is sending families back to just gruesome danger. Cartels are literally waiting on the other side of the bridge to pick off these families when the Biden administration sends them back across the bridge. Is there any evidence that Title 42 has protected U.S. citizens or even people in detention centers from spreading COVID? Two points. One is we're not aware of evidence that this is protecting U.S. citizens. The second point, which I think is critical, is that families do not need to be detained. And the Biden administration is, to their credit, not detaining families. So this whole notion that 
if the family is in a congregate detention center, then it, it will be a problem. They don't need to detain families. And in fact, we were getting families tested on the Mexican side. So the only families that were coming across on the, on the bridges were people who had tested positive. What's critical for people to understand is that CDC has said it's possible to safely process asylum seekers. DHS just needs to take the steps to do that and still hasn't done it. So really what the CDC is doing is indicting DHS. CDC is by no means saying we must send these families back to danger. There's no way to safely process them. They're saying DHS start taking the mitigation steps we have outlined months and months ago. The Biden administration already lifted Title 42 restrictions on children traveling alone, seeking asylum. Why was that part of the policy ended? So we unfortunately think is that Biden administration may be making various calculations not based on asylum law and political calculations. They they took that step in response to a lawsuit the ACLU and our and our um, colleagues filed. We are grateful that they stopped applying it to children, but now they're still applying it to families with small children, sending them back to gruesome danger. What the CDC said is you were able to safely process children when we told you what steps to take. How come you haven't taken those steps in six months? And so from a legal standpoint, Title 42 just needs to be abolished with respect to children, families, and adults. And we think given the harm to families and now given that a court has enjoined it, we hope the Biden administration will not appeal this ruling, but we are hearing that they likely will. This week's ruling on Title 42 seems like the opposite of the ruling last month on the so-called return to Mexico policy. That's where asylum seekers are expelled across the border to wait for their asylum claims to be heard in court. How does the Title 42 injunction impact the return to Mexico policy? We'll have to wait and see how, how they two interact. I mean, at this point, we don't know that M- the return to Mexico policy will ever be put into effect. I think the ruling still allows the Biden administration to justify ending remain in Mexico. They still need Mexico's agreement. But, you know, it's a complicated system of overlapping policies at the border. We'll have to see. But what we have always said is Title 42 is a public health measure. It can be used to require testing, quarantine where necessary, but it can't be used as an immigration policy measure. So we need Title 42 to end, and then we will fight to continue the the, uh, end of Remain in Mexico, because that has also put, as you know, tens of thousands of people in danger. So this is unfortunate that there are so many policies enacted by the Trump administration, and we are just trying to challenge one after another and have been. And I think we have a long fight ahead of us. But this was a good first step this week. Now, the Biden administration has been getting criticized by both the right and the left on how it's handling the problems in the immigration system. As you mentioned, many of those problems inherited from the last administration. How do you think the Biden administration is doing and what more needs to be done? So I think overall, the Biden administration has enacted many good policies on immigration, but at the border and and some other places, they're not doing the right thing. And because they are being attacked from the left and the right, I think they ought to just do what they think is right and what, more importantly, the law requires. And that means at the border, giving people asylum hearings. So on some things they've done well, on other things they've not. But right now at the border, you know, it's no different than what the Trump administration was doing, which was expelling families summarily back to danger 
without a hearing. And that's unfortunate for the Biden administration to be talking about a humane system, but then keeping Title 42 in place and likely appealing this judge's ruling rather than simply accepting it. I've been speaking with Lee Galland. He is Deputy Director of ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project. Lee, as always, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's called critical race theory, something studied in law school as an academic framework that examines the impact of systemic racism on institutions and laws. But somehow it is now front and center in the ongoing culture war over what our children are learning in K-12 through schools. KPBS's Jade Heinemann explores what students are actually learning in school and how critical race theory is being misunderstood. Schools are back in session and tensions continue to boil over at school board meetings when critical race theory is mentioned. We do not want our children to be taught that America is systemically racist. The furor is being fed by social conservatives and right-leaning media who say it's replacing the traditional teaching of history and social studies in K-12 schools. But that's not what's happening. In fact, if you're taking a class on critical race theory, you're probably in law school. Kiara Bridges is a UC Berkeley law professor and the author of a book called Critical Race Theory, a primer. No kindergartner uh, that I know is, is, is familiar with the Constitution. In fact, no 12th grader that I know um, has a baseline level of knowledge in order to engage with critical race theory. So critical race theory is not being taught in K-12 schools. So if critical race theory isn't being taught in K-12 schools, what is the controversy? While as many schools incorporate a better understanding of the ongoing impacts of racism and bigotry in their curriculums, conservative activists are responding by pushing for sweeping bans to suppress education about race and American history. Any talk about race that's, that is less than um, celebratory, that sort of says we triumphed, you know, we, we abolished slavery, um, and then we passed the Civil Rights Act, and, and we triumphed over our, our, you know, tragic racial history. Any talk that challenges that narrative, that suggests that we still have a lot of work to do when it comes to racial inequality, that's critical race theory, according to these conservative activists. And that's what they're trying to keep out of um, K-12 schools. Let's look at the Ramoni Unified School District. The board there recently banned what they called 10 concepts about race from being taught in the classroom. As reported by the San Diego Union-Tribune, the school board president said the goal is to make sure lessons focus on American exceptionalism. The goal of banning critical race theory or the goal of banning ethnic studies is indeed to maintain this idea of a white, masculine, Christian, American exceptionalism. And that's precisely what is so dangerous about these bans. Sarah Clark Kaplan is a professor of ethnic studies and executive director of the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center at American University. She says Ramona Unified's ban and those like it across the country are actually seeking to remove ethnic studies from the classroom to maintain the myth of American exceptionalism. I think we can think of American exceptionalism as justifying, you know, Andrew Jackson's crusade against indigenous people as originating the Trail of Tears, as suggesting that Africans who were kidnapped and enslaved were in fact being saved from their dark life in Africa. 
all of these deeply oppressive systems have their root in American exceptionalism. Scholars argue that ethnic studies curriculums help correct the myth of American exceptionalism by highlighting the untold struggles and contributions of people who've been historically marginalized. Once we can diagnose a situation and we can understand that we have a role to play in it, then we are then obligated to think about how to change the parts of it that we don't like. That's what ethnic studies does. How do you understand history, sociology, cultural production, and how do you understand how we can change it? And to that point, Bridges says it's time to move the conversation beyond erroneous terms and the manufactured conflict over critical race theory. Do you want our kids to learn everything about this country or do you want them to learn a myth about this country? I think that most sober thinkers would say, let's teach them everything because that's what, that's the only weapon we have against repeating the mistakes of our past. Jade Hindman, KPBS News. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh. If you're looking for some art, culture, and history this weekend, you can find plenty of options in the library's reopened art gallery, the Signet Theater, and an Oceanside Museum. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon Evans. And welcome, Julia. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Now, a program at the Downtown Public Library reflects on the experiences of Japanese Americans in World War II, but also their lives leading up to and following it. Tell us about the rebellious Miss Breed. Right. So first on the ground floor, the, the main entrance to the library, the library called on Artwork San Diego to build this reconstruction of Frank Wada's incarceration camp barracks. Wada was a local man who just passed away this summer, who had been sent to a Japanese incarceration camp in Arizona in 1942. So right when you walk into the library, you can get a sense for this whole program. Then upstairs at the gallery, they're they're reopening the art gallery this weekend, which is this beautiful space on the top floor right above the library's dome. And they're going to be holding an exhibition about the life and work of former city librarian Clara Breed. She was the subject of Write to Me, which was the One Book, One San Diego selection for kids last year. During the war, she painstakingly wrote letters to Japanese children, but she also spent her career in the library in advocacy, and they're commemorating that. There's collections of photographs and archives and other relics about her work, but also the experience of Japanese Americans during that period. 
There'll be an opening reception at the Sculpture Garden on the ninth floor on Saturday afternoon, and then you can catch the exhibition during their gallery hours through the end of January. The free opening reception at the Downtown Public Library will be from noon to 2 p.m. on Saturday, and the exhibition will be on view Monday through Saturday in the gallery's afternoon hours through January 30th. Signet Theatre has just reopened with a production of La Cage aux Folles. Tell us about this. Right, this is an 80s Broadway musical adaptation of a French play of the same name, and it was also famously adapted for the big screen in the 90s with the Robin Williams and Nathan Lane movie, The Birdcage. So La Cage aux Folles centers on a drag club and the gay couple who run it, and then their son, who is suddenly engaged to the daughter of someone who's trying to shut the drag club down. So a lot of the plot centers on trying to pass as a somewhat typical couple in order to impress this family. The music and the dance numbers are fantastic. This is We Are What We Are from the original Broadway cast production. was a production that Signet had barely just had a single preview performance of before the pandemic shut down. So this is a long overdue return to the stage for them. And when Signet was the first theater in San Diego this summer to announce vaccination or negative test requirements for audiences, they actually had to extend the show's run because they had such a popular response to that. So if you want tickets, get them fast. Signet Theatre's production of La Cage aux Folles has a show Saturday at 8 p.m. and Sunday at 2 p.m. Tonight's show is sold out. The show runs through October 13th with performances Wednesday through Sundays. In the visual art world, there's a chance to see not just one, but three solo exhibitions by established local artists. That's this weekend at the Oceanside Museum of Art. Tell us about what we can find. Yeah, on Saturday, they're opening a new exhibition by Charlotte Bird, who makes these incredible quilted artworks. One in the exhibition is a crane, and another these these sculptural suspended clouds. And this exhibition, it's called Migrations, focuses on cranes, but also the broader picture, like climate change in general and habitat destruction. Also on view at OMA is Melissa Walter's Smallest of Places, which we've talked about before on the show. These are gorgeous conceptual kind of mathematical paintings inspired by DNA forensics, and that's on view through early November. But then closing on Sunday is Mark Bryce's Love and War, which was originally on view in Tijuana several years ago. These paintings play on American iconography and just kind of the darker side to it all. So there is just a two-day overlap of the Charlotte Bird and Mark Bryce exhibitions, and that's this weekend only. 
Oceanside Museum of Art is open noon to 5, Thursday through Saturday, and noon to 4 on Sunday. For details on these and more arts events, or to sign up for Julia's weekly arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thank you so much. Thank you, Maureen. Have a good weekend. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.